Welcome to Uphill Conversations, your ride-along partners for your emerging future. Everything in life worth having is uphill. You can't go uphill with downhill habits. It's time for another show. Are you ready to be inspired? Well, hello there, and welcome to another episode of Uphill Conversations. I'm your host, Tim, and I'm so glad you can join me today as you are living your life and heading toward your emerging future. Hopefully, you are eliminating any downhill habit and canceling out all agreements with limiting beliefs. And yes, it is so true. You can be more, do more, and have more. So welcome to episode 110. I'm so glad you are here with me. Hey, I'd love to connect with you. So you can do that at Instagram. And uh, that's kind of where I'm just hanging out now. But you can find me at Tim Pecoraro or for the show at Uphill Convo. And then for what I do with my daily work at Uphill Strategies. So I had a great guest on the show and I can't wait to share this with you, Dr. Francois Booker-Drew. She has an extensive background in nonprofit management, partnership development, training and education. She is currently serving as a director of community affairs for the State Fair of Texas, and she was formerly a catalyst partnership broker and capacity builder of an international NGO and its partners around the U.S. She's also authored several books, one of them Rules of Engagement, Making Connections Last. It's a workbook designed to help women build identity and psychological capital that can result in stronger social capital. And also, Ready for a Revolution, 30 Days to Jolt Your Life, a devotional for women. So this conversation was great. We we had a great time. Um, I love her energy and um, just a lot of wisdom, a lot of insight. So we called it Grow, Connect, and Engage. So it's uh, definitely that. And we keep it real. We go deep with real-life challenges that uh, we talk about real-life challenges that Keep people from experiencing true growth, connections, and engagement. So I hope you will enjoy. So let's jump right in. Welcome to the show, Francois. And I'm so glad um, you reached out. And when I saw your uh, information, and I was like, definitely need to have her on the show. And so thank you so much for reaching out. And thank you so much for coming and being a guest. Thank you for saying yes. I'm excited to be here with you today and learn more about you and and just sharing. So thank you once again. Well, what I would like for you to do and um, in this process is I can tell you're a very relational person and what you have all through your bio and everything you do. Um, I know that we both share this. It's people. You're a people person and you love serving and getting better so that you can just obviously show up better in the world yourself, but serve people. But with that, why don't you give us some background so we can get a little bit of context of who this wonderful person is, this wonderful human being, Francois. Who are you? And give us some background. Thank you so much. I'm like, oh, (laughs) (laughs) you know, currently I work for the State Fair Texas as vice president of community affairs. But in my spare time, I am an author. I've written two books for women um, and their workbooks to really help them think about their stories and how those stories impact the way that they connect to not only themselves, but how they connect to other people. And then, um, you know, I'm a girl who grew up in Shreveport, Louisiana, 
And so uh, the deep South and being Baptist and all that comes with it has really shaped my narrative and who I am. And being in a place, I, I was having a, a presentation last Friday and I was talking about being in a place that is rated one of the lowest in the country for almost everything you can imagine. Wow. Um, and coming out of that, um, as I've seen so many of my friends who come out of those kinds of conditions who really persevere and want to not only be better for themselves and defy those odds, but to look at ways that they can help others. That really is my story. And it's an amazing story. And one that um, I definitely appreciate because, um, you know, I see, and I'm just going to say this, I see so many people and don't get me wrong. There is privilege. I mean, gosh, what we're seeing with the stuff online with, with the universities and I get that, but you know what I know, you know, I tell people the privilege is that we all share. It's called pressure. Yes. You know, I don't, it's what makes you, I mean, you ultimately have the decision as to how you deal with, you know, the incidents that happen in your life. I was telling the group last week when I was a teenager, my home caught a fire mm. and I had to move in with my grandparents. And then that became difficult because I couldn't get to school. So I ended up having to go stay with my uncle and aunt. My parents were there and just having to, you know, depend on other people to get you to school and living with people. And in the beginning, you know, everybody's wonderful and lovely. And then after a point, it's kind of like, okay. And and my relatives were amazing, but just losing my clothes and, you know, that whole experience as a high school student, not to say I would ever want to repeat that again, but I know very clearly that that was a defining moment for who I am today. And I don't regret it happening. It was very impactful. And I could have chose to look at that and said, you know, to, you know, what to, with everybody in the world, this is unfair. And it wasn't fair. But I think it's the the mindset that you have about situations. And as a teenager, I didn't recognize the power of your thinking and your mindset, but I knew there had to be a better way. Mm, that's so true. So real. And, and, you know, besides having access, right, shove that aside for a second to opportunities, mm-hmm. And maybe you probably had some limited resources and you probably like all of us growing up, you know, even even, I don't care where you come from, there's still a limitation of the tools that you're working with mentally, emotionally, right? Your emotional intelligence, all of these things. There's a lack of tools, right? What stopped you then? How come you didn't just get stuck where you were? I had so many examples around me of women who wanted more and got stuck. And my mother was one who pushed me to to get an education and my dad. My dad, you know, graduated from Paul Quinn College in 1970, historically black university, decided to, you know, be a PE teacher and went to work and said, I'm not doing this. I'd make more waiting tables. And my dad became a waiter. And I watched this man go from being like an amazing waiter, well known, to opening his own restaurant in the 80s as a black man. And seeing him have this huge restaurant with a full bar and jazz bands and amazing food. And I saw that if he could do that, and if my mom, um, who dropped out of college and who said, you know, I had to come back and take care of my mother, but I want more for you to have both of those models. And then to see other people in my life who had the potential and had the possibility, but for whatever reason, things happen and they made some choices 
those situations and my, and my mother, I have to really thank her so much because my mother would point out things around me with people and would say, take a look at this person. In essence, they're the sum total of their choices. Mm. You have decisions to make. Every choice and every decision you make ha- can impact your life both either positively or negatively. You have the ability to decide. And so having someone like that in your life and having those examples, good and bad, really helped me to be able to go, yeah, I got to do something different. Wow. And so basically, it's it's not about luck. It's about choice first. Oh, no. No, I mean, there are some people, let's be honest with the, the, the college scandal, but that's not even working well for them. No. So yeah. even with, with having the luck, there are consequences. And that's a thing that I think you know, we and, and I don't ever want to, you know, downplay the the fact that privilege does exist and, right. and it people have it and it's not fair when, you know, I have a daughter who just went to college and I watched what we went through and she was joking with me today going, mom, why didn't you have 50,000? <laughs> and I'm like, if mama had that baby, you know, yeah. we'd be doing some different stuff, yeah. you know? And, and so I recognize that, but I also recognize that there is power in the choices that we make. And every single choice to me is like a foundation to your house. It's like a brick mm. and you're building in each one of those. And we're going to make mistakes and mess up. The reality is you got to come back and go, mm, that wasn't a good brick. Learn from it and let's put something else on it and, and acknowledge it. Don't ignore it because mm. you'll repeat it if, if you don't pay attention and learn you know, why it happened, but that doesn't mean that it has to be the end for you. Mm. This, this just popped in my head and I've never even, I've not thought about this, but which one to you is greater your own power or the privilege that someone else has? Oh, to me that, and that's a hard question because I have to acknowledge my own privilege. Um, I think it's your own power. You know, there's conversation around internal locus of control and external locus of control. And I do think for marginalized populations, there are certain things that happen that you just don't have control over those things happening, like the color of your skin or your gender. You don't have control over that. But I do think, you know, and there are barriers, let me be honest, that are created in those spaces. That's real talk. But I also think that there are choices that, you have, and I've just always been able to see both. Mm. I think it is, it is, you know, and I, I stay on my daughter about this because she sometimes get in this place of, well, it's either or, or, and I'm like, no, baby, it's, it's a both, both and. Yeah, both it, and, it, yeah. For our society, we have such a problem with seeing these very um, different realities coexist at the same time. Mm. And they do. And so you can't have this personal power and and yet there is still privilege that exists in that space. It's what you choose to do with knowing that both of those coexist at the same time. Wow. Man, I'm I'm like, this is so good because I'm sitting here going, I, I can see everything opening up here with you. <laughs> I'm just going, man, my brain is like, woo. So, you know, let's jump into this because we're talking about, you know, this, it's both and. I love that. But, you know, and we talk about it's one of those things that, you know, we've, we're facing this every single day, right? Some okay. people put a lot of attention on one or the other. Some people are going to do the both and and work with that. But 
what are some great separators for you? And I want to use three things, okay? And there are three things, but I think they all relate. They can either work together and create flow, or they can work against them, you know, themselves, right? One, they can work against each other. Um, and then a person can find themselves feel very segmented, fragmented, disconnected, which is also going to be the way they deal with other people. And here's what they are. You ready? Right. Let's view it as opinions because most people view, they'll measure a person. They'll make a person's opinion that person. You know, a person is not their opinion. It's the opinion no. that they have. So opinions and then belief. The belief is typically a core thing, but it should always be changing or evolving. And then the third one is values. This is the thing that can can help us with our opinion and our belief, because we could sit in the room, I could be in a room with a Jew, a Hindi, a Muslim, a Christian, and an agnostic, and an atheist. And we could sit there and we can throw our opinions out there, get hung up and snagged on belief, which matters to all of us. Or what we could do is start off with a simple question, what do you value? Because the value is the thing that we're looking to share so that we can move, right? So we don't want to eliminate the other two, but how do we celebrate that top one, that value, so that we can move forward, learn from one, one another, advance, and improve? So can you speak to each of those in your world, your paradigm, the way you work with opinion, belief, and values? Well, opinions to me are like um, what we go to the bathroom with. Everybody has one. <laughs> um, and so as I have grown, I have become keenly aware that everyone has them and their experiences shape them. Part of what I think the problem is, is that because we're not comfortable with our own stories, other people's stories tend to bother us. Mm. And so when I become comfortable in my own narrative and my own identity and recognizing this is who I am. Um, then in my opinion, it's easier to look at other people and say, hmm, they're the sum total of their beliefs and opinions and values as well. But I think sometimes we get stuck in that spot. It's hard to connect to other people when you don't really have a great understanding of who you are. If you don't like you, anybody's opinion that, you know, confronts or conflicts with what you believe, you're going to immediately shut down. Instead of having the cognitive dissonance experience, which is, oh my God, you said something I don't agree with. Hmm, let me think about it and wrestle with this. And one, ask myself, why does this make me uncomfortable? Mm. And to your point about evolving, ultimately that is the goal that we place ourselves in experiences that allow us to have those cognitive dissonance moments where we're pulled back and, and it's jolting our core of what we we value and, and believe. I don't think people place themselves in those positions very often because we typically are around people who are just like us. Mm. Why? It's safe. Yeah. And so we enjoy being with people who affirm us and tell us you're okay. We're both crazy. So that's great. Let's all be crazy <laughs> together. So have some crazy Kool-Aid. <laughs> right. And, and, then, and then what we do is we find people even worse and we go, well, I'm not that bad. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and so it continues to affirm, the, again, that mindset and our way of thinking. And then as it goes to the values, I don't think as a society, people are taught to really have that organizations do. We're taught to pick up morality. And, you know, I'm a person of faith. 
but I also understand what my own belief system is. And I think some people pick up what they've been taught and they don't have a very in-depth, thorough understanding of their own belief system. Because if they did, some of the things that they do, they would realize doesn't go in alignment with what they actually say they believe. And so I think we, we focus so much on these two areas, in my opinion, for organizations, it's values. Every organization you see now has a list of values, yep. but they also learn change management. And yep. as individuals, we do not have processes in place to deal with change in our own lives. And we don't know how to deal with those value conversations because we're just handed that and we're not given the critical thinking tools to be able to walk through that process in our lives and figure out, so what does that mean to me? Mm. And I don't know if that answered your question. But. No, it did. It's it, it, you did exactly what I what I wanted you to do, and it's and I love it, and I love the the point of view, and I can tell it does come. It's not just an opinion; it comes from your core belief, which lets you live a life that has values that you're able to put out there. And it makes it to where you can engage and connect with other people because you are very self aware, and you do understand okay. that you don't have the monopoly on the information. And that's the thing that I find people do not have is is we do not create the spaces for reflection. Mm. We don't have these spaces in our lives. It's like when I come home from work, I have got to find space to be quiet and process my day. And so what happens is, is we don't do that in our teams at work. So people don't talk about, well, why are we doing this? I mean, I know everybody said this is the way to do it, but is there a better way? We don't have those spaces for reflection and those feedback loops, even in our personal lives, where, you know, we'll do the 360 assessments at work and ask people, what do you think of me? But we don't really do that in our own personal lives where we sit down with people because, again, that's going to hurt if somebody tells me what, you know, I'm really like. And, and then I've got to process that information and work through it. I think we're so bent on trying to achieve an end result that we don't pay attention to the process. Right. Well, the goal is to begin with the end in mind, not stay there. You know, you got to actually get there. (laughs) You got to go from here to there, right? (laughs) And it takes work and it's painful. And we have created a lot of folks who don't want to hurt. They, it's kind of like what we're seeing again with the cheating scandal. Instead of saying to, you know, your beautiful little baby, hey, you're going to have to get some grades and, and you're going to have to do some things and you may want to get on the crew team so, so we can help you get in, yeah. you know, on your own merit. I think what we try to do, and and it continues, is that we don't want people to hurt. We don't want to hurt. So I'm not going to give you, you know, a grade that's a C. I'm I'm not going to write in red because I don't want to hurt your feelings. Right. And part of growth is this pain. When you think about flowers and how they're able to bloom, there has to be this pruning process that happens in order for us to get these beautiful roses. So in our own lives, what are the things that we're taking the time to sit back and look at and prune? We mm. don't do that well. Mm. Well, it's going to require that that space for reflection. I call it I tell people we need we need more sacred space in our flattened world. <laughs> We need sacred space, and we need to be able to do that. And um, one of the things I do, um, you know, obviously I do coaching and stuff with, but with my clients, especially the corporations, you know, I come in and they want to get to how do we get more out of people? How do we find out capacity? How do we all these things? And I'm sitting here going, no, no, no. Let's start with this. Your number one resource is 
people, period. It's not your product. It's not your service. I don't care how much money you have. You need to understand that you need to work with your people. You need to get, you have to understand you're trying to do behavior modifications. You're trying to do, you know, corrective actions and all these things with, to these people, but behavior follows belief. And what you need to do is understand you've got to get with them and you've got to give them the sacred space because all you're doing is making all this stuff so linear that nobody gets a bird's eye view of anything. We need to be able to lift ourselves up off the line, the linear, so that we're able to see spatial. We need to get into something. It needs to be able to, you know, we've got to be able to move in and out of things. And the feedback loop is so big, you know? My language, oh my God, I don't know if we're going to be able to do this a lot of time because you're, I'm sitting here just like trembling. I'm like, yeah, my tribe, yes. You know, it, it reminds me of one of my favorite authors, and I'm going to slaughter his name, is Ronald Heifetz. And in his book, Adaptive Leadership, he talks about being on the balcony and being on the dance floor. Because so often we we try to do these 30,000 foot views and I always tell folks when you're that high up, you don't see anything. Everything looks like ants. So you don't really have an accurate view and you shouldn't live your life that far away or run your company that far away. But how do you do this balcony and dance floor where when you're on the dance floor, you're in the midst of things and yeah, you're moving and you're grooving, but you're seeing right there intimately what's happening. But you have to take a step back and get on the balcony because you're going to have a very different lens and view of what's actually going on. And I don't think companies do that very well. And I know we don't do that very well in our personal lives. That is so true because here's the thing. The dance floor, everything will feel like it's happening to you. When you get on the balcony, it's happening for you. You You get a different look now. And that's where, and I love it. And we have to, if we're going to, instead of vacillating among opinions, you know, I know your person of faith, so am I, how long will you waver or vacillate? God said to the, to the children of Israel, he said that to them. And what's so powerful is another, you're wavering among opinions. You're unstable. You'll become double-minded that way. You've got to put things in context. You can't just do it from one position. And this is the thing. What could have taken you 11 days. Yeah. Took you decades. Yep. <laughs> because you were unwilling to be still and listen. Absolutely. Wow. Woo, this is so good. I love this. So <laughs> <laughs> let, let me ask you, what are what do you see when you're engaging people? Because and I like how, and thank you for doing that, because I really can tell that you live this because you have a work-life blend. I don't call it balance. I call it blend. I like how you move from, you give the example of, of a workplace environment, but then you take it right back to who the individual is. Because that's what I tell people. I don't care what you tell them. You can tell them to leave the feelings at the door. You can tell them to leave what to think at the door, all that stuff. But it's still the human coming in. What you're yeah. doing, you know, you can't stop that stuff. So instead of trying to stop it and muzzle it, Why don't you try to nurture and cultivate and build something? So I love that you move back and forth and you make it relatable so a person can live a whole life and not one that's fragmented and, and you know what I mean? And split, you you, you know what I mean? We're helping people create multiple personalities, I think. I I agree. And, and the argument that you had the night before you bring that right into your job. Sure do. 
Yeah. So we have to understand that people are not machines, that they're these segmented pieces, that they bring the totality of who they are to work. And there is goodness in that because there are things that I don't think companies recognize they could tap into just because of segmenting their workers and going, you're you're functional. This this job is what I want you to do. I don't care about anything else. And then we're surprised when morale is low and people are sabotaging their coworkers. I'm not. Yeah. You know, it, it's just amazing to me that that we are not paying attention to those opportunities, even in the networks that people have. Companies do not think about their best source of information is not necessarily hiring a group of people to come in and tell them who their clients are. It's basically talking to your own staff and, and helping them think about what do you like? Who are the people that you are connecting to? How can we begin to start building relationships with your networks? We never think about that kind of stuff. And so it really begins to limit productivity because we, and and I say this about STEM. One of my concerns is I'm seeing a lot of um, schools focus on STEM. Nothing wrong with getting kids in science and math and, and helping them understand technology. This is the challenge is that you've got a group of kids who are very functional in a skill, but they don't have the ability to connect and and to have conversations with people. And so they end up being in these roles and someone comes in who's their supervisor who does not understand the function, but understands how to manage them. And so they're frustrated because how can you tell me what to do? Because you don't know the function, the skill that I have, but I've been placed in a position where I have to manage you. We've got to teach our kids those skills so that they can be, you know, not just competent, but they can have the growth and great experiences in the workplace and in their personal lives. And those soft skills, which they are not soft, are really important for us to relay when they're young instead of waiting until, you know, they're on on the job. And then we've got to hire organizational psychologists to come in and start figuring out what's going on. Mm. I love you said so many things that are making me go crazy because I get tired of people saying soft skills and I'm sitting there going, they shouldn't be. They shouldn't be. These are cool. They're hard skills. That's right. Yeah. That's what I say. They call these hard skills because they're not soft skills. You know, it's so powerful that you said that, you know, instead of the employee, the employer won't come to the employee and say, you know, hey, what do you think? What do you think? What's on your mind about this? Who should we reach? Who should we go to? Right. And you're right. They, yeah, they go to an outsourced thing. You know why? Guess what? They outsource their introspection too when it comes to their own personal life. Yes. You see what I mean? And so they don't realize that they're manifesting the very same thing that they do in their own life. And that's what, and now what we've done is turned it into the way to do work. No, yeah. it's the way you're doing your life. And that's where you're getting the way to do your work. Now, is it, is it okay to get some thinking and some feedback or to do some, in, you know, investigative stuff out, out and about and outside yourself? Sure. But the body will tell you what's wrong with it. All the time. And we don't listen. No, we sure don't. Until it's too late. Until it's too late. Then we begin to go, something is wrong. There is something to be said about being still in silence. I was talking to a friend a couple of days ago, and, and usually what I do at least once a year, I go on a silence retreat. I go to a convent. Um, I've done a monastery and I will stay there No one talks to me. There are no clocks. And I will stay an entire weekend in complete silence. 
Why is that important? Because you so often are being programmed through your television, your phone, your radio, all of this stuff to think certain thoughts so that you can go and be a consumer and spend money. And you really don't have the time to unwind and think about why does this bother me? What are my thoughts and desires and goals and things that I want to accomplish unless you are intentional and deliberate about creating those spaces? And we, you know, I find we don't do that enough in our lives. And so our organizations, to your point, reflect that same, you know, mad way of thinking because it's do, do, do. And a friend of mine said years ago, he said, we are not human um doings. We're human beings. Mm. And at some point, when do you stop doing and learn to be and just have the space to be quiet and reflect? Wow. That's so powerful. What would you say are some of the most overlooked opportunities, you know, to live a more fulfilled life that you see people just walk right by? Being quiet. I mean, I'm off this week on vacation and it's really a staycation. It was to get quiet. Every couple of months, I have to take a couple of days. I'm learning to just be quiet. We miss those opportunities. And whether it is, you know, you may not have the time off, but you may think about how do I have a weekend where I just go away and I'm somewhere in absolute silence where I can be quiet. I don't think we see those opportunities because we see it as I don't have enough time. So I've got to do more, do more. When we're quiet and we're rejuvenated, it gives us the energy and the fuel to be able to do more. So I think that's a missed opportunity for a lot of folks. Um, I think it's missed opportunities in terms of turning off technology. And it's hard because we have this desire to be so connected. But I think it's learning how do you replace the technology connection with the actual face-to-face interactions with people. We live in a world now where people don't write letters anymore. You find that people don't do, you know, some do, but they don't do dinner parties in the same way that folks did years ago. We have to create these spaces for intimacy. There was some research some years ago where they found that when people are in these very deep conversations, their brain patterns tend to mirror one another. There is something to be said about being in community with people. And I think we miss out on that. We'll do, you know, professional activities because this is going to help my career. But to just be in these spaces where you can be around like-minded and sometimes those folks who may not agree with you, but you can enjoy the humanness of just being with people. I think that's another missed opportunity is how do we start building these connections that support us in our lives, both personally and professionally, instead of using technology to fulfill that need. Mm. Wow. <laughs> I'm, I'm sitting there going, I'm listening to you and then I'm going, oh, that's good. Let me write that. <laughs> I'm, trying to like, I'm sitting there going, because I'm thinking of next week and I've got some on-sites with some clients and I'm and I what that's what I do. I break down to the people level. I mean, I go right down. I'm, they'll say, well, my job is, I'm like, hey, you know what? I don't want to talk about your job. <laughs> I'm not here to talk about your job. Well, what are we doing? We're going to talk about you. Tell me about you. What's your world? Oh, oh my God. And this is the crazy thing. I remember when I did my first research group and I brought a group of women in and I said, tell me who you are. And they could not tell me. They talked about themselves in relationship to other people. Mm. So it was, you know, I've got my kids and, and again, nothing is wrong with that. But then when you're asking, who are you? That's a very difficult question for most people to answer. And especially when I ask, give me the Twitter version of who you are. Yeah. Yeah. People have a hard time with just giving descriptors of who they are. And deeper than that is purpose. 
I think for so many people, we are on this kind of treadmill, you know, with, with the hamster on his little wheel next to us. And we're just running, running, running. And we don't take the time to sit down and think about, so why am I really here? And it doesn't have to be this thing of what we're being force fed is to be famous. I think there's so many folks who feel like that is the top accomplishment in life is to be famous. No, the accomplishment is to live a well-lived, well-served life that you've been able to make a difference in someone's life. That's living. That sure is. That's why, if you notice, when I sent you, you know, you had the form and stuff, I like to get people to tell me their nouns. Give me three nouns that would describe you. I'm a leader, communicator, and artist. And of course, it's okay to say I'm a husband. Someone could say I'm, you know, I'm a mom. I'm, you know, and I'm like, can you go beyond that, Uh, beyond a role? Yes. Tell me something else because you'll see where the gap is in understanding their own purpose. And what I want them to do is get a little confidence to say, what do you even think it might be? Because that's where we need to get into. Get curious about the thing that you think that you're not sure that you actually know is true. Let yourself be curious over the uncertain. It's okay. Be curious there. Because see, if not, you're going to find yourself in a, just in this, this place of lull and autopilot. But you said the most amazing word, and that is curious. Somewhere along the way, we lost the desire for curiosity and innovation, not only as a country in terms of, you know, yeah, you're seeing disruptive industries with technology and things like that. But at some point, innovation was so pushed and and we were okay with, you know, making mistakes and learning from them. And that's a part of curiosity. And somewhere along the way, we have been told that, no, don't do that. Just do it the way that it's always been and don't ask questions. And I feel so sorry for children who are growing up in an era that for many of them, it's this pull of, yeah, let me do YouTube and and create a channel about not very much of anything. Um, So I'm creating, but I'm not necessarily being creative. Wow. That's, that's true. And that's the thing. We are creating something, but we're not being creative. That's, and I think it's, um, you ever, you ever hear, um, oh my gosh. And I know you're, you love Marianne Williamson too, but, um, a return to love. I saw the quote and then I was like, Oh, I'm going to love this conversation because (laughs) I recommended that book just yesterday to somebody. I said, read this book. And it was a, it was a a friend of mine, a male. And I said, he goes, who's it by? And I told him, and he goes, what's it about? And I told him, he goes, what? And I'm like, yeah, you need to read this book, man. <laughs> so he goes, you read it? I said, uh, maybe four times, five times. I mean, it's an amazing book. But and Four Agreements is the other one. I'm oh, like, yeah. Four- yes. Th- those are great books. But there's a book by Madeline Lengel. She did A Wrinkle in Time, but the book Walk on Water. And she talks about the fact that, and I know it's tied to our curiosity too in what we're doing, but the older we get, we lose our ability to tap into the high creativity that I believe is God-given. And for those who are listening and you're, if you're struggling with me saying God-given and that's not your belief, that's fine, that the universe has provided. However you want to see it, there is a higher creativity. And, and what she has found in different studies, um, Madeline Lengel shares, is the fact that as we get older... We stop that because think about it. There's no Leviathan. There's no unicorn. There's no Easter bunny. There's, I mean, you know what I mean? All these things. And so gradually it's almost like as these things are taken away, it's almost like our, somehow our ability to think beyond whatever context we're left with. 
you know, we're, it's like we're, we're stuck there, which leads me to this. Metaphors. I'm stuck. I'm drowning. I'm- but notice what you just put with I am. Yes. So regardless if, you know, I don't want to get where people are going, oh my God, it's becoming a religious conversation. But if God said that he was I am, whatever you pair the rest of that sentence with is life altering. Good or bad. You have to be very careful about how you, what you say about yourself. Because I'm a firm believer that if God created destiny into existence by speaking it, you too, and I'm not saying folks are God, you can be that whatever you want. It doesn't bother me. But my belief is that you too have the power to speak your destiny to existence every single day by what you say. And so much of our lives are a direct correlation to the stuff that comes out of our mouth, which starts with a thought. That's right. The mind is a very powerful thing. And and as you talk about creativity, I look at God as source. And so if God is the source, is the master creator, why people may lose their creativity is a disconnection between them and and the master source. That's true. That is so true. Back to that, you know, the metaphor part where you're just saying this speaking in the I am, and I'm just sitting here, I'm just going, wow. You know, and I think everybody needs to understand that, like, we, we can do so many things with the things we say. And, and when you pair it, like you said, what happens, these metaphors that we're choosing to use with the I am, I feel, my life is, literally th- th- what they're doing is they're adding to the overwhelm, the stuckness, the, the frustration, because it becomes a reality because they are convincing themselves that that is it. That is all, you know, c'est, c'est la vie, it's finished. There, there is something to be said about how our thoughts and, and the correlation between what we think, what we say, and what we do ultimately impacts what our lives look like. As people, as much as we want ease, people always talk about ease, which my thing is I'm not a big ease person. I'm like, listen, if it's worth something, it's going to cost something, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to yeah. take something. But do you think what we do is as much as we say we want things to be easy, why do we overcomplicate something that is so simple? <laughs> because we have been told that if it, if it is that difficult, then it must be worthwhile. That when it's, I see kids sometimes, and, and they will walk right by money laying on the ground. And it's like, you see that, right? And and the belief is that's too easy. So I need to just walk away. And we all do that in our lives where there are things that are just so simple, but because of whatever we've been told about simplicity and complication and, and, and really boils down to fear. I think for most of us, it is this fear of if it's that easy, then it's going to be something wrong later on. And so I'm going to overcomplicate my life because there has to be the answer in that way. And it goes back to me to this both and there there is validity and working hard and knowing that anything worth having is going to take time and there's a process in it. At the same time, that does not mean that to get muscles that you have to go into the gym and kill yourself for seven hours a day. True. You can choose to do that, but will you your results be you know different than someone who's doing an hour a day? Well, the possibility of you getting injured is even more 
likely in doing that and, and what you do to exhaust your body. And I don't think we pay attention to it because we want the quick results um, and we complicate it because, hey, this this is the way that we're going to do it. And it doesn't have to be that hard. But again, I, it goes back to programming and what we've been taught and how we think. Mm. You know, so in that overcomplication, it spills into our connections, relationships, our learning, our growth, our yeah. our, our value, our worth, our significance. Um, because we didn't do that to other people. So then the same thinking that I have about myself, I put on you. And what always <laughs> trips me out is when I'm talking to someone about uh, an experience or something, and they go, well, that doesn't exist. <laughs> and I have to laugh because it's like, wait, because you didn't have that experience or you're not aware of this happening, that that makes it non-existent. We have become the centers of our own universe mm. in a detrimental way because we can't accept anything else that's different. And it really begins to implode on the way that we connect to other people in terms of what our happiness will look like because we're expecting everybody to be just like us. And that doesn't work. Everybody doesn't think the way that they do and the way that you do. And this is the thing. They can be happy doing it their way. Your way is not the only road. Mm. And and that's a narrative. Yes. And one of the things that I love that you wrote down when you reached out was that you had to examine your narratives, not someone else's. And yes. you, the narratives that you believed about yourself and your relationships. And what I like is that you, you made it very clear that when this changed, everything else did. And so many people are waiting for things to change, people to change, right? Instead of working on that themselves. Wh why do you think it is that people want to hold on to a narrative that they ultimately themselves don't even like? It's the tapes that play in our heads that at one time those tapes served us well and they protected us. What happens is at some point those tapes no longer work and they serve as barriers to creating a change that we want to see in our lives. And that's why people continue to do, you know, what we would say is insanity of doing the same thing over and over, expecting different results. I'll never forget years ago, I invited this gentleman to come speak and he was brilliant. And I remember saying to him, I've never seen you before. Where have you been? And he looks at me and he says, what kind of car you have? And I told him, he said, so let me ask you a question. Before you had that car, did everyone have that car? Did you notice it? I said, no, no one had it. That's why, you know, I wanted to get it. He said, so what happened when you got it? I said, oh my God, everybody has that car. And he said, my point is, is that that car was always there you weren't able to see it because of where you were thinking. Once that became familiar to you and you were around it and you saw the possibility, then it was always there. And I think that's what happens for so many of us where we get stuck in these ruts and believe that things aren't possible and available to us. I really believe all those things are right there. It's when you're ready to receive them. When you know the student is ready, the teacher appears. Right. Right. It, I, I say that same story. I do it a little different, but what I tell people, it's because once you take possession of it, that's mm. when you start to notice it. You know, it's seeing yourself in it. Yes. And then you see but, it all around you. <laughs> but, it, but it is about what we focus on. Yep. So if you focus on lack, which is what I was doing in my relationships, and I focus on, oh, I don't have this, I don't have that, woe is me. 
I got people in my life who were the exact same way. And once I started changing and recognizing there are wonderful people out there that I'm okay, I'm, I'm good, I'm enough, and all these different things, my life changed. I have some of the most amazing friends in my life. And that's not to say that I don't have moments where I go back and I'm going, oh, what's going on with this? But when that happens, it's an opportunity for me to stop and reflect and then course correct as needed. And again, back to our earlier conversation point was the reflection piece. You have to create those spaces because even though we understand life is a journey, there are going to be these, you know, little blocks that sometimes pop up in the road. That doesn't mean that that's the end or you have to get off. It's an opportunity for you to step back and think about, so what do I do and what's my responsibility in this space? It doesn't belong to anybody else. The common denominator in this is me. When I hear people say to me, you know, all my relationships are horrible. And my question always is, but you're the common denominator, correct? Mm -hmm. So what does that say about you? You've got to have some ownership as to why you're bringing these people, these situations, these experiences. And not to say that anyone deserves abuse. I don't want to ever put that out there. But I do want people to start thinking about what is it that allowed me to bring in and, and say that that was, um, okay in this season of my life, because I brought some very bad people in my life who used me and abused me, and I didn't deserve it, but I had to step back and think about, so what was I needing that I thought this person could fulfill? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, what's, yeah. What am I trying to substitute here? Yes. You know, and, and, and getting to the core of, you know, not that person and not what they did, we recognize that's bad and wrong and they deserve whatever they get for doing something to abuse and hurt someone. But at the core, I have to own, you know, what, what am I doing? Where did I give my power away? How do I get my power back? And how do I recognize that I am valuable and I deserve love? We've got to stop being afraid of being vulnerable. I, I, my thing is this, true weakness is a failure to show vulnerability. Agreed. T true strength is the ability to reveal and show vulnerability. It, and it's liberating, not only for you, but for the people that you're in contact with when you're in community. Your story can liberate others. Own your narrative, the good, the bad, and the ugly. It is so powerful because it is uniquely yours. No one can take that away from you. So true. So true. Well, you know, the show is called Uphill Conversations. And and for me, and I'm working on a whole tribe, and I've been rebranding some things to do this, and and it's not to sell anything to anyone. I just want people to have an uphill frame of mind, an uphill way of thinking, that they know if it's worth having, you got to go uphill. It, it, you can't go uphill with a downhill habit, right? And right. I want people to understand, you're going to crash on the hill. You're going to get tired on the hill. You have to change gears on the hill. You're going to have to rethink the way you hit the hill. I mean, so many things are going to have to happen for you in this process. Would you be willing to share a recent or it could be a past one, an uphill challenge where a lot of things you had to deal with in order to get to that next stage of that hill of your life for something greater than what you currently had or were in? Oh, that's an awesome question. I was at a job that I loved and my boss left. And it became absolutely chaotic. A lot of people were leaving. And um, initially I thought, well, here's an opportunity for me to try to step up and help the team. 
because people were feeling as if they were um, losing their stability. They didn't know if they were going to have their jobs. It was a very difficult time. And um, I encountered leadership that was not always very positive. Um, and it was a very hard time for me. It really made me physically ill because it was the stress of it and the amount of people that were leaving and just trying to pick up the pieces and, um, just, and, and, and the boundaries became, they did not exist after a point. It was just, it was a lot. And I remember saying to God, well, I'm going to leave, but I kept flip-flopping. Well, I'll leave in June. <laughs> well, no, I'll leave in April. And finally, I heard, when you make a decision, I'll show up. Wow. Make a decision. Circle a day on the calendar when you're going to leave. I don't care if you have a job or anything else to go to. Circle a day and make a commitment and commit to yourself. And finally, I did. I said, okay, end of February, I'm out. It was the most amazing thing because I went on, I, I didn't have, you know, I had some things lined up, but they weren't, you know, consistent with what I had. I had a lot of vacation time, so I could live off of that, the funds for that. And then this wonderful door opened up to where I'm at now. And I would not have thought going in that it would have been such a gift in terms of allowing me to do something. I remember praying about years ago going, what would it look like to have a job where you could really make a difference and meet with people and try to create impact in a community and do it from a philanthropic side? And to be reminded that I had asked for that years ago, but even the experience I was going through at that time was preparing me for it. And one of the most impactful things that a friend of mine said, she said, you know, when an eagle wants its baby to get out of the nest, she puts rocks in it Mm. and she pulls out the straw to make it uncomfortable. What I had done was I got comfortable with the rocks and I started (laughs) adjusting my body like, okay, well, yeah, that's That's a pillow. There's a pillow. I'm hurting. My back is killing me. And I I did that. And finally, when I committed and decided that I was meant to soar, the door opened for me, not only in that job, but even in my personal life in terms of what the, you know, the message that I'm trying to get out to people about their narrative and connections and relationships. Doors started opening when I decided to do something different. Mm. And that was, it will be three years in April. When that happened. Such an inspiring story. Thank you so much for putting that out there. That is just, that is wonderful. And that we need more of that. That's the stuff that we need to hear, you know, that you can, you know, it's not, is it possible? It's, I like to say, I don't ask myself, is it possible? I look at who I am. I look at the values that are in me and my belief. I, I think of all those things, the vision that I have, I journal about it, I write it down, you know, I pray about it, all of these things, and then I say, do I want this? I just yeah. go right into do, I, you know what I mean? I, yeah. I just, I want to I wanna take myself through that place of introspection. I want to do some observation, but ultimately I want the insight. So and see if that insight and what I'm seeing and, and and what I'm discovering does it line up and that's what I'm hearing from you and I love it that is just that's powerful powerful it, it, it is being committed to you mm. you cannot expect other people to commit to you well if you don't commit to yourself yeah don't expect someone to believe in you more than you believe in yourself yes. <laughs> so let me ask you this what are three things you're optimistic about 
over the next 12 months. They can be personal or professional, um, however you want to present it. You know, as strange as it sounds, I'm optimistic about our political environment. I think it's going to get better because people are going to work together and begin to start figuring out how to solve for issues. And I'm excited to see people who are unlikely suspects having conversations to look at how they create change. That is exciting. And to watch even in the college scandal environment that's happening, the exposure is now creating conversations that we just for years knew this stuff was happening just never said a word about it and didn't know people were literally breaking the law. So I'm excited. Even I hate that for, you know, these kids that are having to go through what their parents did, but I think it opens up the door for us to have some wonderful conversations about privilege and doing the right thing by everybody. So I'm excited about, you know, that uh, uh, piece. I'm excited for, you know, a book that I'm writing. I am looking forward to Um, It being published will be my third book. It's a book of letters um, to my daughter who went off to college. And it was kind of these lessons that I wanted to give to her before she left and things that she could remember while she was away. And it really is about being in transition and what that looks like from a, a faith perspective. And so I'm looking forward to that and excited about just life. There is so much goodness despite all the stuff we hear and see. I am excited about life and the possibilities and potential for me to be my best. My my dream is, is that when I pass away, that for me, one, that God says, good and faithful servant, well done, that, that I ran the course and finished it well. But I also hope that every part of me was used to be able to make people better. And in doing that, I'm a better person or was a better person because of it. That's what excites me. Wow. Man, I knew I'd like you. Say it again. What is this, four times now? I knew it. I knew it because that's what I tell people. Like, that's the thing for me is transformation and change. And that there was one thing, you know, I don't care about what possession I have. All the, I don't care if I was able to build something, start something. You know what I want to, I care about the one resource I feel that is the most valuable thing where I tell people you will never, my belief is this, you never look into the eyes of another human being that does not matter to God. And, and that is, that is what I do. I don't care what they're doing, what they're going through, what, how they, I mean, I've had some people do horrible things, you know, to me. Right. However, I still always say I want to apprehend the the heart of God for the broken. That's what I want. I want to apprehend his heart. I want to have it. That's what I, I want to be arrested by it. And I want yes. to apprehend it. You know, I want to take hold with, bo- with both hands and just not let go. So, wow. Um, how, how would you like our, our, this audience to connect with you? What's the best ways you would like them to come reach out to you if they want to know more? It's so easy to find me on LinkedIn. That is the easiest place. Or you can go to my website at Frosswas, F-R-O-S-W-A-S, rules, R-U-L-E-S.com. Easy to find me. I am not that difficult to, to find, but know this. If you reach out, I reach back. Oh, that's that's great. I love it. Um, and I will put all of this in the show notes and um, so people, if they... 
they can't, they didn't listen, catch it all. Maybe they're driving. Who knows? We don't want to keep your hands on the wheel. Don't take your hand yes. off the wheel. Yes, please. <laughs> <laughs> um, but we'll put it in the show notes where they can get to it after. So, hey, I, I really appreciate this. And what we'll need to do is I need to schedule a round two or even just a, you and I need to chit chat some more. So I'm going to, I'm going to be reaching out to you so we can. I would love it because you know I'm going to reach back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So listen, thank you so much for being on the show. You've been great. Thank you for having me. This was awesome. Oh my goodness. I am just inspired by you and what you're doing and this conversation. It is light. And thank you for bringing light. Thank you. And it's just been my, my privilege and it's a pleasure to do this. So uh, this has been another episode of Uphill Conversations. Always remember you can be more, do more and have more. Your reasons for being, doing and having are for you to figure out and no one else. Remember that your current condition does not match your emerging future and it will not ever. But most importantly, you will see people like me and Francois on the hill. You've been listening to Uphill Conversations. If you'd like to hear more, subscribe to the show at uphillconversations.co. See you on the hill.